for leading us in prayer, and thank you to everybody who's served to make this morning possible, a wonderful time of worship, spending that time in the presence of God. Well, today we're, we're talking about sharing faith. Hopefully by now, one or two of you have looked on the website and reminded yourselves of the different um, characteristics of church, the values that we, that we claim on our website to, um, to, to adhere to. And um, as I've, I've said many, many times, they, they're meaningless unless we actually give them meaning, unless we live them out. We make a point of, of focusing on them. We don't want them to be meaningless. And so hopefully as we've worked through this, this series and we've looked a bit, of the, uh, a bit of the early church and seen the way that um, the early church maybe demonstrated some of these values or maybe didn't at other times, um, hopefully it's, it's prompted us to hold up the mirror a little bit and to consider how we reflect those values in our own lives. And so today we come to sharing faith. And sharing faith can be internal within the church to build one another up and encourage one another, or it can be external, out in, out in the community, taking Jesus to people who don't yet know him. Sharing faith is something that is fundamental, absolutely fundamental to the, to, to the, the, the mission of Jesus. The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. The lost being those who weren't following him yet. The Great Commission, Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. In other words, he was, he was sending us out. He was saying, go, just go and do it. But we don't really have an instruction manual, a step-by-step guide as to how we should go about doing this. And sometimes that can be difficult. That can be frustrating. But so far as we've worked through the the opening chapters of the book of Acts, we've seen the development of the early church. We've seen um, right at the beginning, we saw Jesus before the ascension telling the disciples to stay in Jerusalem and to wait and be patient. And then we saw that even as they were just waiting and being patient, they were being blessed and there was over a hundred of them um, who were gathering regularly to be together. And then we saw on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 or more than 3,000 got baptized in response response to a message that was preached by Peter and then we saw we've seen healings and we've seen people sharing and selling possessions to provide for one another and this wonderful picture of unity this wonderful picture of of God working through people as they faithfully begin to wrestle with what church should look like and so we come today to trying to work out how we should share our faith. Now, to begin with, we need to be absolutely clear. It's not about us. Oh, thank goodness for that. It's a relief. It's not about us. You see, when we start talking about, about sharing faith, we can, we can get so absorbed in, in thinking of, of um, events and initiatives that we can organise and we can finance and we can, we can put together. And that's all brilliant. I'm all for that. That, that. Don't get me wrong. That's fantastic. A church should be active in the community, should be doing things. And we've, we've, we're working as a leadership, got some ideas, and we're hopefully going to be um, seeing more things happening in the coming um, months and certainly coming years to make ourselves more of a prominent fixture within the community. But what we must always, always, always remember 
is that it's not about us. God is the one who drives his word, the one who drives the building of his kingdom. We are simply the tools that he uses. Now, maybe that makes you think, well, what's the point? Or maybe that makes you think, oh, that's a relief. But when we look back at the early church, we see that there is a key moment, a key moment that triggers the sharing of the gospel. And that key moment, it isn't, well, I'll tell you what, let's, let's have a quick straw poll. Anybody stick a hand up and guess what the, what the key moment is? Persecution. Oh, I knew I shouldn't have chosen Chris. God, got it in one. Yes. So my point was going to be, I thought we might have, you know, the, the ascension. We thought we might have Pentecost. I thought it might have been the healing. I thought there might have been all the, all the nice things. But the fact is, Chris got it in one. Um, it wasn't any of those things. It wasn't any of the good stuff. It wasn't any of the nice things, the pleasant things, the things that make you celebrate and smile and think, hey, yeah, we want to mark this occasion. It was actually one of the goriest, bloodiest episodes outside of the crucifixion that Scripture records. Stephen was one of, one of those who had been chosen to go and to share the gospel. He was a godly man. He went out to speak in Jerusalem to some very staunch Jews. And he preached a sermon in which he explained quite clearly how and why Jesus is and was and will forever be who he claimed to be, the Son of God. He made it absolutely clear. He was accused of blasphemy. He was threatened. If you keep on going, if you keep on going, there's going to be a very messy end for you. But Stephen kept on preaching and preaching and preaching and eventually the mob were baying for his blood. They were so incensed with what he said as he told them the good news of Jesus that they picked up rocks and started pelting him with them until he was dead. Now you might be thinking... (laughs) That's not exactly the most motivating of messages to make me want to go out and share my faith. But the point is this. You see, just as Chris just said, he said the word persecution. Now, we're not going to go through Stephen's sermon. What we are going to do, at the end of, we see in, in um, Acts chapter 7, Stephen preaching this sermon, Stephen being, being challenged, being accused, but keeping going and going and going. And then we see him dying at the end of chapter 7. But the start of chapter 8, on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. You see... The stone was dropped in a mill pond and the ripples spread out. Suddenly, the whole world was changed, not just Jerusalem. Stephen, through his perseverance, through his doggy determination to share the message, he was was treated appallingly. He he died a, a horrible, horrible death. Stoning is still practiced in a very few countries around the world. And whenever... Whenever it's actually carried out, there is, there is outcry. We are appalled, and rightly so. It's terrible. It's horrific. 
But there is nothing that mankind can do to mankind which God cannot use. A great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. This church that was now, must have been getting on for five, maybe even 10,000 strong. As more people saw miracles, healings, heard preaching, there were baptisms taking place. All these things were happening. The body of believers was growing and growing and growing. They'd organized themselves. They'd appointed new leaders. This was really gathering pace. But at the moment, we are contained within Jerusalem. At the moment, this is a, a very localized outbreak of, of this new belief. It's contained. It hasn't quite begun to achieve the mission that Jesus had given to his followers when, when you, in Acts chapter 1, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. What happens on that day a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea, Judea and Samaria. The first two places Jesus named. Suddenly, that's where people are scattering to. Suddenly, the mission that Jesus had explained, that the, the, the process that he explained to people, it's happening. We can see it happening. Straight away, there's this, this awful event, but it triggers. It triggers the next phase. Okay, now's the time. Some of you are going to leave Jerusalem, but you're going to go to the places that I've already told you. That's where the good news is going to be taken. When Philip reaches Samaria, later on in Acts chapter 8, we see him meeting a, a sorcerer called Simon, someone who, was, who, who enthralled the locals and we see that when Simon saw the spirit was, was given at the laying on of the hands of apostles, when he sees the power that they have, the power from the Holy Spirit, he offers them money, he tries to buy a portion. And they say, no, it doesn't work like that. May your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. Suddenly this, this sorcerer, this, this local magic man, He's reduced to nothing because the power of the Holy Spirit has gone with those who fled Jerusalem having seen Stephen left a bloody pulp on the floor. In fear they fled, but God's gone with them and the power of God has gone with them and the power of God starts working as soon as they get to Samaria. Philip carries on his journey. He meets an Ethiopian eunuch, someone who had a place in the high court, a palace official, a powerful individual. He's reading Isaiah, and he can't make head nor tail of it. And so Philip takes the opportunity, jumps up with him. Budge over, let me sit, let me explain. He tells him about Jesus, who Jesus is. Within a few moments, the eunuch is asking for baptism. And Philip baptizes him before the eunuch goes back to Ethiopia. And so suddenly we see, we see a, a powerful palace official taking the good news, the power of the Holy Spirit, into a foreign land, another foreign land. 
And then we see Saul, Saul who we know scripture tells us was involved in the, in the stoning of Stephen. He was at best holding the coats at worst lobbing stones with the rest of them. We can never be sure exactly what his role was, but he was there and he was encouraging it. And he takes a, a letter from the high priest to go to Damascus to give him authority to arrest as many followers of the way as possible. That's what the, the early Christians were called. And we see him halfway to Damascus when suddenly a light blinds him. It shines down on him. He hears this voice saying, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He encounters Jesus in such a powerful way that he, he, he cannot see for three days. He has to be led by the hand and he's told to, to go to Damascus. He's told to meet a man called Ananias, who is a follower of Jesus. Saul learns about Jesus. He hears about Jesus. And suddenly, Saul, who later becomes Paul, who wrote the bulk of the New Testament letters that we read, he suddenly becomes one of the most influential figures in the New Testament. God is in control. Whatever we do, God is the one in control. He gives us opportunity. He gives us resources. But sometimes, sometimes he gives us tragedy. He gives us heartbreak. He gives us suffering. Sometimes life is not a bed of roses. You don't need me to tell you that. I bet everybody in this room bears the scars of times when life has not gone the way that you would have had it. But God is in control. God will use every scar, every bit of hurt, every experience, every memory that sends a shudder down the spine because you don't want to go back there. Well, do you know what? God was there with you. The power of God is what enables us to share faith. As we go through the back book of Acts, we see the gospel being taken powerfully and effectively, sometimes planting churches, sometimes changing lives, leading to baptisms. It goes to Antioch, to Cyprus, to Iconium. It goes to Lystra, to Derby, to Syria, to Macedonia. It goes to Philippi, to Thessalonica, to Berea. It goes to Athens, to Corinth, to Ephesus, to Greece, to Caesarea, and it ends up in Rome. And suddenly, the whole of the Mediterranean has been affected. Most of Europe has been reached. Suddenly, the, the, this, this, this tiny, localised, little outbreak of faith in, in that radical who we killed on the cross called Jesus, suddenly this little movement that was all nicely and neatly contained in Jerusalem, it's everywhere. It's taken off. Just like Jesus said it would. Just like Jesus said it would. So, I wanted to start this morning with, 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 with that that in mind, because when we go and share our faith, it can be daunting, it can be terrifying, it can be something that puts a lot of people off. But know this, you are doing the work that was started by Stephen. When he stood there and said, you know what, you can throw what you like at me, you can kill me, do your worst, but I believe in Jesus. That started then, that was the trigger. And everything that we do now, everything that we do as a church and as individuals out in the community, seeing our neighbours, our family, our friends, or within the church, everything 
is carrying on that work. Be inspired, people. Be inspired. Because that work has been going on for 2,000 years. And the difference it's made to the world is phenomenal. And we have the privilege of doing that. And so it is important that as a church and as individual believers, we share our faith. It's very easy to stand up and say that. Not so easy to do it. Because there is a right way and a wrong way to share our faith. And actually, when we look back at the early church, there are some incredible messages, some really powerful sermons that are preached. But I wouldn't advise that we go out into the streets of Norwich and preach them word for word. Standing up in, outside the town hall, city hall, and telling people, you remember that Jesus who you crucified? It's your fault. Maybe might be a little bit over-aggressive for today's society. I don't think many people would respond to that. You see, we live in a totally different culture, a totally different world to first century Jerusalem. The message is still every bit as true and relevant and important as it ever was. But how do we deliver that message? I was touched this week. I had the pleasure of being taken out for lunch. Joe and I went with Terry. Terry's around somewhere. Oh, perhaps he's not. Oh, he's out. He's out. Oh, oh, yeah, I can see him. He's, he's out there. Anyway, I did. Oh, you're over there. Okay. Hello, Terry. <laughs> anyway, I thought it was a pleasure going out for lunch with you. Um, and um, Terry shared a story, which I, I asked his permission, and he said, yep, you can, you can use that. A few weeks ago, Terry and his wife, Jill, um, who is in a, in a care home, um, they celebrated their wedding anniversary. And um, Jill, Jill's brilliant. She still writes notes for a house group, despite um, being physically unable to, to get out. She still writes notes for their house group every week, and Terry is the mouthpiece who goes along and tells people what she's prepared. But, but she still serves in that way, which I think is phenomenal. And if you're watching, Jill, then bless you for that. Um, but Terry went along, and he said it was her wedding anniversary, so I took a Chinese. Old romantic. But he said, I made sure that I took enough for the night staff in the home. And when Jill and I had had our time together, I took them their food and I said, look, I've got some for you. And they were over the moon. They were really blown away by that. Now, the staff in that home, they know, because you can't have a conversation with Terry or Jill without knowing this, they know that they're Christians. They know that church is a big fixture in their lives. They know that they have a faith in Jesus. And so when Terry turns up and says, my wife and I are celebrating our wedding anniversary and we'd like you to be part of that celebration, they know that the motivation for that generosity and kindness is Jesus. They haven't gone in and, and taken a Bible and said, listen to this, read this, I'm going to test you on it next week. Oh, it's, not, it's not that sort of approach. It's an approach that says, I'm a Christian, I'm a normal person. But Jesus convinces me that I should be kind and generous and loving and sharing 
in the way that I live my life. I thought that's a brilliant example, and I wanted to share that, because it just shows that sharing faith, it doesn't have to be an act that will lead to us being stoned to death. It has to be an act that leads to us building a relationship, a meaningful relationship with people people who might not have a relationship with Jesus. And through us, they can come to know that. Now, I, I mentioned a few weeks ago that we're going to be, um, uh, that Ed and Alice and Yvette are going to be looking at house groups over the summer and visiting groups, and that um, we're, going to, we're going to try and get to the point, we'd love to get to the point where everybody in the church was part of a house group. Now, you might think, oh, I haven't got time for that. But you have, because it doesn't mean that you necessarily have to go every single week or every month. It would be great if you can. But wouldn't it be great if, if everybody in the church was at least on the periphery of a group, even if they couldn't commit to being there every single week, at least three or four times a year went to a, a social or something like that and caught up with, with people and got to build relationships and got to know people. That would be fantastic. I'd love it if we could get to that point, and hopefully that's something which, um, which over time we can, we can work towards. And the reason that I say that is because... We often think of house groups as being something that people come to the church, they get involved, they, they get to know people, and then they get invited to a group. But I've seen the reverse of that happen really effectively. There was a couple in one of my previous churches who were fantastic, really, um, really good at hospitality, and they ran a house group, and Joe and I had the privilege of being part of this house group. This family um, who, who ran a house group, they had two daughters who had swimming lessons. And the swimming lessons were um, fairly local, and they got talking to the swimming teachers. The swimming teachers were a husband and wife, and they said, one day, they just said, oh, a couple of weeks' time, do you fancy to come around to our house for a barbecue? We've got some friends coming around. And they said, oh, that'd be lovely, Thanks. Yeah, okay. So they came along, and we had a, it was a house group social, but they didn't know that. They just turned up and met this bunch of people. A bunch of people who they thought were really friendly. A bunch of people who were interested in them, who talked to them, who made them feel really welcome. They had a nice meal. And then they kept on saying, so how do you know the couple who are hosting? How do you know them? How do you know them? How do you know them? And the answer was always the same. Oh, they go to my church. They go to my church. They're part of my church. And at the end, they went up to this couple and said, so do you, do you run the church? And they said, oh, no, 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 nothing like that. I'm an accountant. She's a nurse. No, but within our church, we just, we just like to, to have people around. We, we have this group that meet once a week, and we just share together and encourage one another. We learn a bit about the Bible. We pray together. It's really good. If you ever want to come along, then do. And suddenly, it wasn't every week, but probably once a month, they'd turn up. Now, I can't hand on heart, I've lost touch with them now, I can't hand on heart say um, whether they made a commitment, came to faith, but what I can say is that they experienced a loving community of Christian people who weren't weird. You see, it can happen. But the perception of so many people out in the world is that Christians are a bunch of weirdos who are just going to be, Jesus, 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 you're doing this wrong, you're doing that wrong, stop having fun. That's the perception out in the world. And when we share our faith, one of the most effective ways that we can do it is by being normal. Now, that sounds like such a basic thing, but that means not judging. 
That means not using language like inviting them to come and be washed in the blood of the Lamb. Oh, oh dear, oh dear. That can, that can put people right off, especially if they're vegetarian. But house groups are really effective. If you run a house group, don't feel you have to wait for people to come into church before they, they then sort of disseminate into a group. Instead, look around. Feel free to invite people into groups to build the group from, 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 from the ground level, if you like. And then through a house group, through getting to know this group of people who are, who are normal but lovely, who are kind and caring, compassionate and generous and everything else that, that, we, that we should aspire to be as followers of Jesus. Once they've spent time with those people, then suddenly they are a lot closer to meeting Jesus than they were before. House groups are a wonderful place for us to share our faith. You see, sharing faith is important for us. It's not easy. It's a challenge. It's a real challenge to share our faith. Because suddenly we find ourselves questioning what we believe. That's a healthy thing to do. As long as we come up with the right answers. But you see, it's, it's, it's important that we have the confidence that we don't feel our, our faith is too fragile to go and have a conversation about it. If someone says, so why, why do you, what, what is Jesus all about? We need to have ready answers. We need to know what Jesus is all about to us. If someone says, what's the, what's the point? I always begin by saying, well, let me tell you about the fruit of the Spirit, which is, which is what the fruit that should be seen in each and every one of us. And I go through them, and I challenge them, what's, what's bad about that? And I say, well, nothing. No, Exactly. Exactly. You see, at at its core, Christianity is such a good thing. It encourages such such a good, positive, healthy approach to life. It benefits the individual and the collective. It's such a good thing. And from there, immediately, you've got them on side because they've agreed. You've found common ground. You've not gone straight in, well, we're all sinners. No, don't. They feel judged. Might be right. We are. Yeah, of course. But don't make that the opening gambit. Sharing faith is a challenge, but sharing faith, it strengthens a community. The more we share together, the more that we can can give tips and hints, the more we can help each other, the more that we can share scriptures. We can pray together. It strengthens the community of the church, and that in in itself emboldens us to go out and to share, because we know that we have the support of a strong church family. The community is strengthened as as we share our faith. It encourages each other. I often find that when people are going through really low times, really hard times, it's not something I choose to do, but it's an opportunity to share faith. You don't wish it upon them. But often when every other support in the world appears to be crumbling, we have the opportunity to offer something so strong and stable. It's a wonderful opportunity. Don't ever feel that you can't say, look, I'll be praying for you. Prayer is so powerful, it's so important. We say that a lot, but if we truly believe it, then we must be saying it to people. I'll be praying for you. Sharing faith is something that inspires us. It's something that 
It gives us purpose. We can go out into the world. I'm going to be looking today for opportunity to share my faith. Not in an overbearing way, just just if, if opportunities present themselves, if I can invite someone around to my house, if I can do a good deed, if I can talk about church, drop it into conversation, if I can let people know that Jesus is the centre of my life in, in some way by doing something or saying something, it's all sharing faith. It's all planting those seeds. Planting those seeds in others. And then God can do amazing things in bringing those seeds to fruition. In a world full of anxiety and worry, we can be the non-anxious presence. If we truly put ourselves into Jesus' hands, if we can truly say, Lord, I don't understand what's going on, but I know that you're with me, and we can take that breath, we can take that moment, we can be the, the calm presence in any given situation, the difference that makes is phenomenal. So often, when one person gets irate about something, they talk to somebody else, and the two sort of ratchet each other up, and you get this, this state of, of absolute, uh, absolute fury and energy, and, and, and if it only takes one person to say, okay, let's just calm down. Let's just work through this together. Let's just go back to square one and start again. And suddenly, you can, it's like taking a pin to a balloon. You can... All the stress and anxiety, it can evaporate. But it does take someone to have the maturity to do that. And that's a spiritual maturity. So many people never explore their spirituality. And so at their core is this void that can be filled with, with all sorts of different things. But these things don't last. And we have something which can sit in the core of our hearts and last. As we follow the book of Acts, we see people, we see Gentiles getting baptised, receiving the Holy Spirit. We see that this, what once seemed like an exclusive club, is no longer. Instead, the gospel is being spread further and further and further afield. People's faith is being shared. Good things are happening. In 1 Peter we read, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give reason for the hope that you have. My challenge this week is to make sure that you've got an answer to everyone who asks you to give reason for the hope that you have. Why? Why do you follow Jesus? Who is Jesus to you? What's Jesus done for you? <clears throat> for you? If we have that answer ready, just as Peter tells us we should, then we, we have nothing to fear. When we start sharing our faith, we immediately have something to say. And there are always people who've got ears to listen. Just finally, in Colossians chapter 4, verse 5, we read, Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. I love that. Make sure your conversations are always full of grace and seasoned with salt. Jesus said we are the salt of the earth. 
that we should be the ones that preserve everything that is good, everything that is nourishing, everything that is wholesome, everything that is godly. We have this, this privilege, this responsibility to share our faith. So let's make sure that as we, as we go about our summers, as we enjoy the weather, as we get on with work tomorrow, begrudgingly probably, because it's lovely outside, whatever, we find, whatever situation we find ourselves in, let's make sure that we ask God for opportunity to share our faith and make sure that every conversation we have is full of grace and seasoned with salt. And by doing that, people will look at, look at us and see Jesus reflected. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the, the mission plan that Jesus so clearly gave us. And thank you, Lord, that ever since that persecution began, it wasn't a sign for the end of the gospel being preached. It was the trigger for a global movement, a trigger for millions and millions of people worldwide to hear about Jesus, to research and investigate him, to, to, to pray to you, to recognize that there is a living God who sent his son into this world because he loves us so much and he desires a relationship with us. Father God, we thank you. We thank you for the privilege of having a role to play in that movement. And we pray, Lord, that as a church, you will bless us, you will guide us. As, we, as, as the leaders were all prayed for earlier, Father, I pray you will bless us as a leadership with a clear sense of, of, of what we are as a church, how we can share our faith, both internally to strengthen and encourage one another, but also externally to build your kingdom, to reach more and more people with the love and the grace of Jesus Christ. Bless us, we pray. Amen. Amen.